You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. Conversation that we're having uh, about from here to there and back again. And so we've looked at this from different angles, and we've been tracking almost through the historical timeline of Jesus. We began in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. You might remember we prayed from one garden to the next. Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, what was broken in the Garden of Eden. So it was kind of a back and forth thing. We started in the Garden of Eden, then we broke that, that covenant with God, and, and Christ was praying for that. We looked at the crucifixion of how the disciples were with Christ and they were living a crucified life and yet they scattered from the cross. And then they all, only John came back to the cross and it was kind of from here to there and back again. Last week, of course, we looked at the resurrection of Jesus, which is probably the most infamous from here to there and back again, coming back from the dead. And so we're going to pick it up right after the resurrection this morning. It is such a fascinating uh, moment in the in the Gospels. My wife Carrie and I were driving yesterday and we were just talking about those pockets of time in Jesus's life that you kind of wonder why we don't have more detail. Like when he was growing up, what was Jesus like as a teenager? We were just like, oh, if we could just find that out. Because if he was at the if he was a perfect teenager, we don't want to hear about it. Okay. We don't like just which I'm sure he was. So, uh, but there are these pockets of time, and one of those one of those pockets is right after the resurrection. So we begin uh, we begin this conversation in the in the next to the last chapter in the book of Jesus's best friend John. In John chapter twenty, it's interesting that we read this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs. In the presence of his disciples. You remember last week we talked about Jesus didn't do his, his miracles in a corner. The resurrection wasn't in a corner. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in the book. Like, ah, man, wish they were. Like, what were those? You know, after this is post-resurrection. And we know that you know, from the scripture that Jesus was around for 40 days. So let's say roughly a month and a half. He's around and he's doing miracles in front of everybody. That's just like, it's not, it's not there. It's not listed. We don't have everything. And you kind of wonder. So in this context, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody or you've seen people with somebody that's famous. And they're, they're not so famous, but they're walking with someone who's famous. A little more strut and step, you know, because, you know, I'm not that, but I'm with that, you know. And, uh, and, and, and so you can imagine this must have been somewhat like on a high with these guys because coming into the crucifixion, their hero had died. And everyone around them was beginning to fabricate why he was missing from the tomb. Oh, somebody stole his body. Someone, you know, they didn't actually put him there. Many stories, and those stories have rippled into our own culture of what had happened with Jesus. And so you must have imagined the grief, the bewilderment, that I thought this was going to, but it didn't actually happen. And then Christ, they saw him, you know, the, the women rest of the grave. And they came back like, are you going to see? And, they went, and then there's Jesus. And it's just this, this amazing thing. Now we read he's doing miracles. Can you imagine those 40 days walking around or maybe I should say strutting around with Jesus 
after he's come back from the dead, and I'm sure somewhere in there in that, you know, those miraculous signs, the disciples said, told you so. <laughs> told you he's coming back. Told you he was going to do miracles. Told you he wasn't dead. You know, they must have this amazing confidence. Then what happens is very, not only interesting, but it's very relevant to our lives. And I got to tell you, there are times when I'm studying, I'm prepping, I'm like, wow, this one, this one hits home. And I think it hits home for all of us living in a very distracting, cluttered culture that we're living in. In the midst of this, this high, you know, this, this electricity with the disciples, something fascinating happens in the very next verse. So you have to put everything in context. So we got 40 days of Jesus doing these other miraculous signs in front of his disciples, in front of public, and we don't know what they are. Then you turn the page to the next verse in the next chapter. John 21, verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples, like we talked about last week. It's not one, you know, Bigfoot, just a one-time deal. It's, uh, you know, he, again, there's this kind of repetitive thing by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, John, James and John, and two other disciples were together. And Peter said, I'm going to go out to fish. And so the others said, hey, we'll go with you. We'll, we'll catch it with you. So they went out and they got in a boat. But that night they caught nothing because they were fishing all night long. In the context of, of this euphoric high of being with Jesus, they decided to go back and fish. And Peter led the way. If you're reading the story on the surface, you're like, okay, well, it's not a big deal. You know, maybe they were, some people say, maybe they were just hungry and they're going to fish. Well, if, if that's the case, most likely you're not going to fish all night. Some people say that, that Peter and these guys went apostate at that moment, which is a fancy word for like, I'm out. This didn't turn out like I thought it was going to be. I'm going to, I'm just going to walk away from my faith. There's no indication of that either in the scripture. But there was something nestled in this, in this action of, of fishing all night because Peter was a fisherman and some of these guys were fishermen. And so what they were doing is that they were returning at least Peter to his profession. And so he was screaming on the boat. He was not. Okay. <laughs> I love it. We love that sound. Do not worry. We love that sound. Yes, absolutely. We love it. Um, all right. So, so there, there's this, there's this kind of weirdness to this passage. Okay. But here's where, here's where it hits us, right? It hits us because if he had played out the role of David and found a Bathsheba in that moment, then it exempts so many of us. Like, oh, wow, Peter really lost it. I'm glad I'm not like that. See, if he had become like Solomon and taken on hundreds and hundreds of wives and, then, and, and lost his faith and went away and was drawn away to, to in our culture, another faith, and like, we're like, wow, that was, whew, man, that is rough. That's another rough story in the Bible. 
But he didn't do that, and that's why it hits home. Because he didn't lose his faith, he lost something else. He lost his heat. He lost his passion. And I think it's nestled in the fact that when they first saw Jesus back from the dead, it must have been like, wow. And then Jesus did another miraculous thing, and he did another miracle, and did another miracle. And how many miracles does it take? Like, yeah, I've seen that one before. Because that's the way we are with human, as human beings. It's almost like a magic trick. Like, yeah, I've seen well, Now, here's what's going to happen. He's going to take these two fish, and gonna, everybody's going to be eating. I've seen it before. <laughs> I mean, take a great movie. Have you ever seen a great movie, and then you see it the second time, the third time, the fourth time? At one point, the jazz starts to wear off. So in the midst of Jesus coming to them again, Peter says, let's go fish. Here's what we know. You, let's say, okay, not a big deal. He's just going out to get something to eat that night. Then later in the story, when he finally intersects with Jesus, then if that were the case, if there were nothing askew, then why would Jesus ask this question 15 verses later, when they had finished eating, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? He wouldn't have asked the question if he had just gone out to grab some grub. You see, I, most of us can relate to this. Here, let, me, let me tell you, so mo- many of you know my background is music. And so when you're a professional at what you do, you love what you do, but it's also a craft. So for me, I practiced the piano eight hours a day, seven days a week, 364 days a year. I took one day off Christmas Day, and I did that for for a long time, many years. So when people would say, do you enjoy playing piano? Well, yes and no. It's work. I had built a, a specific little thing that was a piece of wood, very, very raw, to go under my right shoulder blade so that I could practice in the midst of searing pain in my back. Try sitting on a piano bench with no back for that many years. If you've ever known a, an athlete or a, a dancer or, or whatnot, the injuries that they have, the, the trainers that are required, the hardships that, that come with that. So it's a football player. Hey, do you like football? Yeah, I like football, but it's not like I'm just going out in the, you know, out in the backyard and playing football. Peter was a professional fisherman. So what was happening in this story is that he was returning. He was going back. That's why Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter. He said, Simon, son of John, because that's what he called him when he met him. That's what he called him when he met him in his profession. Was there anything wrong with fishing? No. But Jesus, being the son of God, understood, oops, the trajectory of what just happened is dangerous. See? What? You can say, well, I don't agree with that. It makes no, that, that argument makes no sense, except Jesus asked, will you love me more? This was not just a hobby for him. 
This was everything, and he fished all night, and of course he didn't catch anything, because that's what happens when we alter our trajectory. Today, we're not going to talk about our love for God. We're going to talk about something that's like, oh, let's talk about something else. (laughs) We're going to talk about what's called in the Bible our first love, our first love. See, a first love, when you have a race, there's one first place. There's not a, there's not, if you get the gold trophy, you don't, you don't, you know, somebody's got to get gold, somebody's got to get silver, somebody's got to get bronze. So when you're running a race, Jesus said, I want first. That's what the word more means. So do you like chocolate or do you like strawberry? You know, I, I like to hang around dis- decisive people. Like, I don't know, they're all the same. I'm like, they're not the same. One's pink, one's brown, one has little chunks of fruit, the other one doesn't. Which one do you like more? I could go with either. No, you can't go with either. So if I'm, I'm and, and my staff, I know I bug them to death. I'm like, okay, if you have to do this or that and the other, and they're like, oh, I'm not quite sure. I'm like, okay, you got 15 seconds and life ends if you don't answer. What would you say? I'm like, don't do that. I'm like, I am doing that. <laughs> Jesus is like, hey, it's not the same. I'm not the same as your profession. I'm asking for first, which it's going to be 15 seconds. You got a chance to answer. Peter, son of John, will you love me first? Will you love me more? If I said in in a room full of Christians, how many people love God? Okay, hands are going to go up. If I said privately, raise your hand. How many of you love God first? How many of you love God more? And here's the thing that, again, it hits home. He wasn't doing anything wrong. Again, see how, see how it comes together. If, if he had like, boy, he went out and took on seven wives and he lost his faith. I'm like, wow, well, I'm not that. We, we like the things that are like, well, I'm not that. But because of his profession, because of his life, because of his everything, his everyday stuff, we're like, wow, I get it. In the midst of walking with a dead man who's come back to life. Even that has worn off. The challenge that we have of being faithful is that we sing about the resurrection. We sing about God's faithfulness. We sing about the grace on the cross so many times that that can even begin to wear off. And this is exactly what happened. Now, when you look at the Bible, we're going to just do a little bit of a survey here. This is nothing new. For God to ask us, will you love us more? Let's take ourselves back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God said, yeah, you can have everything. You just can't have that tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't have that tree. Will you love me more than that? Will you, will you love me more than that choice? And then, of course, we're told in the Bible that Eve was deceived first. And then Adam followed suit. So I wonder If the question to Adam would be from God, will you love me more than your wife? You see, Adam was deceived by by the enemy, by Satan. But then Adam, perhaps his sin was he acquiesced because he didn't want to upset anybody. And God would say, would you love Adam? Would you love me more? Because we've already had the conversation about that tree, but it's not about you and the tree. It's about you and your wife. When she gave it to you, you might have been able to lead the family and say, hey, you know what? Remember what God said? Let's not. Let's not. You had that choice. Will you love me more? 
Do you remember, and turn the page in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. We don't have the law in place yet, but what we do know is that, that Abel, watch this, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4, Abel brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. Somewhere there was a conversation. Again, we don't have everything in the Bible. Somewhere there was a conversation between God and Abel, God and Cain that said, I want you see this all these cattle that are given to you and all these sheep that I've given to you and all the produce I've given to you. I gave it to you. Don't forget that. And I want you to exercise you not forgetting that by bringing me the first and the best. That's why, was it, that's why God was upset with Cain. You brought me the leftovers. You brought me the old lasagna in the back of the fridge. that was crusty and brown and dark. And, and this, you know, he, he brought me the short ribs. He brought me the best. He brought me the first. He brought me the very first. He said, I'm going to love you more, God, than all the stuff that I have. It's ancient that God has asked us to love him more. Not just after the resurrection. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. The first commandment in Exodus chapter 20, You shall have no other gods before me. I want to be first. A false god is not a statue on your mantle. A false god is anything that you find your resource of Zoe, of life. And if that's fishing, then that's your God. If it's your children, that's your God. If it's your income, that's your God. If it's your home, that's your God. If it's your talent, your skill, your fame, your whatever that thing is that replaces God by just an inch, we lose the race by just an inch. Jesus said, seek first in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one or love the other. He'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, strawberry and chocolate equally. You must make that choice. This is where it gets real quiet. God says there are measures. Let's take what Jesus said. One of the greatest things that is our challenge in a cluttered culture is our time. One of the, one of the greatest challenges, crazy enough, in, a, in, a, in one of the most wealthiest countries of the world is for Christians to give God, as a starting point, one of ten apples that he grew, by the way, that he gave, by the way. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your what? Your heart. That means your passions, your love, your first love. Billy Graham said this way, show me, a, show me a person's checking account. I'll show you where their first love is. Someone said it this way, that you can give to God and still not love him, but you can't love God and not give to him. That's tough. And I know that's a tough. And I know a lot of Christians, I say this not judgmentally. I say as a shepherd to say, hey, is that your thing? Is it your profession? But is it, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe your kids are on your mantle. Maybe it's money. That's a tough one. When I go around the world and I train and I, 
and we do this thing called voting stations or multiple multiple choice things. I'm like, hey, how many minutes a day do you think the average American Christian prays? If you think it's an hour, go over and stand in that corner. If it's a half an hour, that corner. If it's 15 minutes, that corner. If it's 10 minutes, that corner. If it's two minutes, that corner. And so everybody gets up and they go to the, they go to the corner that they think the, the, uh, the, you know, the answer is. Nobody has ever gone to the hour corner. Nobody. When we say, hey, for an average American, what percentage of Americans are willing to give back one of 10 apples? And we do the same thing. If you think it's a half of, a half, you know, of Americans and 25% of Americans, 15 and 10%, 5% of Americans that are willing to say, hey, God gave me 10 apples. I'm going to give one back to him. What percentage do you think are of American Christians? And in that one, many of them go to the 50% because they perceive us as, as a wealthy country as we are. I'm like, wow, the Americans must be so. And I say, no, you need to move over. And 25%, no, you need to move over. And you need to move over because the percentage is around 2.5% of American Christians. It's a first love thing. It's not a judgmental thing. It's a, it's a thing that, that is a very tough question. Will you love me more? Will you love me more? Will you love me more than your agenda when you wake up in the morning? Will you love me more than that? It's a question as we're seeing that's ancient. Here's a tough one for us as parents. Jesus said in Matthew 10, anyone who loves his mom or dad more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his, his boy or his girl, son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And in a culture where we're offered horseback riding lessons and, and ballet lessons and gymnastics and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we would say, oh, no, I love God more. But if it's consuming our lives to the place that we don't have any room to love God more, even though we wouldn't want to confess it, we actually have put something else in first place. You see how tough this is? I read this, to be honest with you. I'm like, I would, I would love to say to you, like, well. I got that one down. But even as I sat at my desk, I'm like, God, is it okay to preach something that I haven't mastered myself? <laughs> I'm just being real, uh, real up with you, right? Straight up with you. You know, back in my day, I'm, I was mean to find a teenager because I don't know what they call it. When back in my day, when you were dating, and uh, you were going to not date anybody else. We called it, you want to go steady, right? Next generation. Some Then after that, we used the word steady. It was, do you want to be exclusive? That, that kind of, we didn't use that word. It was too, it was too complicated for us. We were steady. <laughs> exclusive. I don't know what they say today. What do they, what do they say today? If you're going to, huh? Okay. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Why did I even ask? Okay, so <laughs> let's stick with exclusive. <laughs> it's all God is saying, I want to be exclusive with you. Now, if that didn't hit your heart enough, all right. By the way, this is a two-part message. I, you know, I was going to say to you, I haven't. I'm going to do something today that I haven't done. I don't know that I've ever done it, and that is speak intelligently. 
And so I'm not so joking. <laughs> like, well, you're not doing it yet. So <laughs> now, this is going to be a two-part thing. And, I, and I'm going to kind of leave us a little on the cliff. Because this is when Peter goes out and says, hey, I'm going to go fish. Next week, we're going to say, hey, what does it take to come back? All right, and we'll give you a little taste of that. But I do want to leave it on an edge because I don't, you don't want church to be like a sitcom where it resolves at the end of every 30 minutes. It's okay to leave a little uncomfortable. It's okay. Church is not just feel good, right? It's, it's like, okay, God, search me. So maybe it's an assignment. Let's search ourselves. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. I'll search myself this week, and maybe you'd like to do that with me. Now, here's if that wasn't heavy hitting enough, we go to the book of Revelation, and the book of Revelation is fascinating. There, it begins in the second chapter. It begins, of course, John is seeing the future, and so he there are seven churches that the the angel of the church. We won't get into who that is and all that, but. The angel of the church is addressing these seven churches. Some people believe that those seven churches represent seven periods of history. I happen to believe that, but it's not a hill I doubt. But it's seven churches that, that, they're, that they're being addressed by God through this angel of the church. And so the first one up is the, the church of Ephesians. And when you see these, these uh, the conversations with each of these seven churches, usually there's a commendation. That means they're being commended for something. Usually there's a condemnation. There's like, hey, this is not going so great. And usually there's a commission. Hey, so let's do this, you know, moving forward. In the Laodicean one, the seventh church, which kind of, if, if you buy into the historical sense of that and, and the future prophetic sense of that, that's our generation. There is no commendation. There's no like, hey, way to go because you're, you're getting her done. Just different conversation, different day. But he starts out with the, the church of, at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. That's the church at Ephesus, okay? When Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, 35 years before John penned the book of Revelation, Paul was ad- admiring. He said, I thank God for your faithfulness and for your love for others in God. I mean, so he was, man, this was like right after the resurrection. Man, you guys are on fire, and I thank God for you. 35 years later, now we're in the second generation of the church at Ephesus. And now the angel of the church, the God's messenger to the church, is sending this message to them. First, the the commendation. Let me commend you. And when you begin to read this, like, man, this church had it together. Watch. In book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 1, first church of the seven. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write these words. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. We're talking about Jesus. And, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So if, you, if you're if you reading the book of Revelation, you know there's a lot of symbology, but it's not as complicated as you think because you'll you can read it. We won't get into it today, but the seven stars are this and the lampstands are this, etc. Lampstands were the churches, okay? Seven, seven golden lampstands. Watch. The commendation. I know your deeds. Like, uh-oh. You know my deeds? It goes, but then it gets great. I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate Wicked men in your culture. And you've tested false prophets. You've tested those who claim to be apostles, but they, they have not. And you've found them false. Way to go. 
Way to go for persevering. Way to go for your hard work. Way to go for like putting the litmus test. Like, hey, is this the real deal or not? These guys are out just preaching a different message that's not in the Bible. You've done the test. You've put them to the test. You have persevered. You have endured hardships for my name. And you haven't grown weary. Man, he's like, wow. To have a church like that, that would be amazing. So then what comes after it, the next sentence, is absolutely shocking. It's absolutely shocking. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. I got to be honest with you. That's shocking. It's shocking because... If the paragraph preceding that would have been, you guys are duds. You never pray. You haven't given a penny. What is wrong with you? You've lost your first love. I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. But you've worked. You've persevered. You've tested out the false stuff. You Man, you're really, way to go. You've lost your first love. What? <laughs> and the reason that hits me so hard is because the same reason that Peter had gone and committed adultery like a Bathsheba. We say, well, I'm not that. And what it proves is that we can be, and this is personally where it hits me. I'll just personalize it. Steve, you can really work hard and you can persevere and you can call it out and you blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't mean that you still have the flame of the first love. Wowza. That's tough, right? That is so tough. How can this be? So we're going to leave it at that. But let me just say a couple things to give you a little foreshadowing of next week, okay? Because I want to leave on a graceful note just to make sure you feel good when you walk out. Okay. When I think about going steady in that moment where you're like, hey, this is it, or being exclusive, or whatever they say these days. <laughs> there are three things that come to my mind. First of all, it's private. Second of all, it's public. And third of all, it's pricey. What do I mean by that? First, it's private. That means when Jesus said, I want the relationship that's just between you and me. That don't just do things, you know, for show, but then we never spend time together. My wife and I got away for a couple of days uh, yesterday and the day before. We don't do it very often. Should do it more often. But it was just a time for us alone with no kids and no phone and none of that just to say, hey, you know what? It's just going to be us. To have a meal together and to have conversation that sometimes you can't have in the clutter. And if you don't have that from time to time, something's unhealthy. And, and first love is something that constantly needs to be worked at and nurtured. Listen carefully. First place doesn't happen automatically. It just doesn't. Not in a cluttered culture. It doesn't. It's something that we have to say, God, 
help me with this. Help me get back to first place. It's public. I don't know if you remember the days, or maybe some of you are living in those days where you first hold hands publicly. Oh, they're an item. Well, that's what they said in my day. <laughs> I don't know what they say these days. <laughs> Facebook official, thank you. <laughs> you know, you begin to share with your friends, and but then there's that because you know what? In a relationship, if you're only willing to love me privately but not publicly, like oh come on. I want you to I want everybody to know. Taken. <laughs> right? I want everybody to know we're together. It does matter what happens publicly if we have loved privately. And the third thing is it's pricey. It's costly. Real relationships, first place, they cost something. It is going to, to subtract your time. It's going to subtract your funds. It's going to subtract your schedule. It's going to subtract. Love subtracts. And we'll talk more about that. But you find a couple that's really in love. I promise you. What's hap- what you see, you know, public display of affection is happening private display of affection as well. There's sometimes, I read a book a long, long time ago. We, um, uh, there was a guy who um, had failed in his marriage, and then they restored the marriage. He's, he's a pretty well-known name. And he wrote a book about that, how, how they got back together. And he goes, you know, we started holding hands when we didn't feel like holding hands. Sometimes when I'm working with a couple and they've lost their first love, I said, here's the assignment. I just want you to, I want you to hold hands. Now you're going to hold her hand. You're going to walk. Because it just sometimes takes time. Let me end with this amazing picture. You know, we see the, the Olympics and the torch. You know, you guys know where that came from? Like why they... They do the relay uh, torch. It's it's a long word. I wrote it down. Lampadophoria. 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 Let's say it together. Just kidding. <laughs> Lampadophoria. Lampadophoria was a relay race. You know, Paul says run the race. And I, I challenge that because sometimes we say run the race and we read that and like, man, I'm in solo commando. I'm running my own marathon. No, Paul ran a relay race. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, hand it off, hand it off to those who are handed off. That's the, that's the real race that, that Jesus really says, man, way to go, right? But the, the Lampadophoria um, was a race that it wasn't the first person to cross the line that won the race. It was a relay race where each team had a torch. And that torch had to be passed on to the next one. If you crossed the finish line first, but your torch wasn't aflame, you didn't win. It was the first person across the line with the flame still lit. You see, Jesus is looking for those that will say, I am going to keep the flame. So let me end with a question. Will you love me more? 
Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.